Hey! Oh, nice. Some leadership, lads. Hey, I love this uh, Ways to Freedom icon. When we moved to uh, America, there was a lot more roads. You know, there's only 23 million people in Australia. There's about 20 million people within a 50-mile radius of this spot. Uh, so uh, we needed this app. And how good is it? How good is it to just uh, put in your destination and someone just who knows a lot better than you tells you what to do? I love it. I love it. And uh, your freeway on and off ramps aren't always intuitive, you know? <laughs> Sometimes you sort of got to go to the middle when you're going to swing up over there or something. And, uh, you know, and every one of you drives on the wrong side of the road. That's problematic. And, uh, <laughs> but, yeah, no, we love that app. And uh, we used it recently. We took our family to see the Grand Canyon. And uh, I mention that because today's sermon is a little bit like that journey. The destination is beautiful and transcendent and wonderful. But to get there, we've got to stop and have lunch at Ludlow. Has anyone been to Ludlow? <laughs> yeah. Ludlow is a dump, all right? It's very boring. And uh, if you're from Ludlow, uh, please apologize to the other eight people who live there. Um, I'm sorry I said that. That's all right. Now, we do need to uh, go through a bit of a rough time of being open and honest, but God is good and he has a great uh, message for us today. He has a good plan for our lives. So hang in there. That's all I'm saying. Now, I've got another group of people to speak to there uh, through the camera. Uh, you might have stayed home today because you can count. So you sat through uh, coveting and lying and stealing, and then you saw adultery. You stay at home. Keep watching. God is good. He has a good plan for your life. All right. Some of you are in the room because you can't count. And if you could count, you would be at home. Uh, but God loves you, and he has a great plan for your life. So hang in there. Hang in there. Uh, parents, today, if you've brought your children, uh, I'm not changing my sermon. So if you're scared about what I'm going to say, you might need to take them out. Because uh, it's going to be, uh, we're going to be real. We're going to talk about things. And today is about adultery and sexual sin. Uh, so we're going to talk about that. Um, I had this sermon on my mind for a couple of weeks. Normally when I hear a DJ start talking about junk, I just change the channel. Uh, but for the last couple of weeks, I've let it linger, right? Because I thought, oh, i try and assess the temperature of the world out there in that area, and man, all this stuff with Hollywood, what a train wreck. Hollywood trying to work out sexual ethics. It's just embarrassing for them, hearing all these crazy discussions about permission and not permission, and is this okay, is that okay, are they really bad, are they really good, uh, you know, it, it's just a mess. And the good news is, if we can uh, pursue God today, I promise you, there is a way to freedom freedom. And it's a good thing. So hang in there. Um, let me pray and we'll get underway. Lord Jesus, we love you so much and we know that you are good. You displayed what goodness is and uh, you offer us to participate in that life. And Lord, we don't want to miss out. So we're going to go through this difficult journey this morning, facing up to our weakness so that you might become strong in us. So I pray you'd help us, Lord Jesus, today. Amen. Now, there's four things going on in every command, in the Ten Commandments. And we're going to just sort of move through them. Uh, when God gives a command, it reveals something about who He is. And that's important for us to uh, linger on and think about. It also reveals something about who we are. Uh, that's the Ludlow part. That's not fun. And it offers a way to freedom. 
which is what we're talking about today, our ways to freedom. And the last part, which we don't think about enough, is it also has hidden in every single command, there's a promise, there's like a hidden promise And that's going to be like the Grand Canyon. When we get there, that is going to be just a pleasure to discover. All right, well, let's check it out. Exodus chapter 20, verse 14. You shall not commit adultery. Don't you hate how the Bible is so vague and hard to understand? And you've got to wrestle and try and get to the Greek and work out what it's about? No. Uh, Nice and clear. Why has God put all sexuality into marriage? Why has he done that? Why is he a killjoy? Is there something wrong with him? He gives us this present and then he takes it back and says, no, why has he done this? Let's check that out uh, today. So the first thing we discover in this command is an element of God's character, who God is. Uh, When I was a young man, I I got a mentor and we started doing Bible studies together. And one of the first couple of verses he asked me to remember where I had to commit it to memory was this great passage in Exodus where God says, I'm going to introduce myself to you, Moses. I'm going to tell you who I am. And there's this lie out there that the God of the Old Testament is nasty and grumpy, and the God of the New Testament's a bit nicer, right? This is total rot. Read the Bible, right? Uh, Exodus 34, 6 and 7, God defines himself, him speaking. It says this, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sins of the parents to the third and fourth generation. Boom, intense passage. God reveals himself as someone abounding in faithfulness. Faithfulness. And when we see a command that we should not be adulterous, it's God showing us that he is the opposite to adulterous. He is faithful. He's a faithful God who loves us. He also warns us he's holy for a reason. The consequences of these sins track through generations, don't they? I mean, all of us who are older, uh, I'm becoming older this year. I'm going to be 40. Ouch. And, uh, and all of us who are becoming older, we know, we know, we've seen generations affected by sexual sin. We've seen it around us. It's a heavy and a serious thing. But God is different. He is loyal. He is steadfast. He's trustworthy. He's devoted. And the coolest thing about God is unlike us, he always operates out of his essence. He never does something different to who he is or who he was intended to be. He is essential. He can't be other than himself. And our steadfast, trustworthy, faithful, and loyal God says to us, be like me. Don't be adulterous. Now, we have to get through some dot points at the start. Uh, God prohibits all sexual activity outside of marriage. He's given us this gift, and we're going to talk about it a bit more later on. uh, But he has put these boundaries on it for our sake. And the family is the key. Uh, God defined marriage uh, in the Old Testament. He said he made male and he made female and he designed us to procreate. It's fantastic. It's a good design. Uh, It works well. My mum and dad did it. It's gross, but thank God I'm here. (laughs) Uh, and And why did he do this? Because he said the family is the building block of his society. That's his idea. 
And this command is a prohibitive command, but he's preempting Satan's attack on the family unit. And how wise is God? When we see the family break, how much pain does it cause? The family is such a brilliant building block. If it's made in God's image, it's a beautiful and wonderful thing, a perfect place for children to be brought up, a place for love to be displayed and shared and enjoyed, a safety net. It's just such a good idea, the family. And God knew Satan would go for the family and he would go hard. And so he gives us this good command. All right, now we're going to Ludlow. Second thing that happens in a command is we discover who we are. And this is not fun. This is not fun. What kind of people need to be told not to commit adultery? That's embarrassing, isn't it? I mean, one person on earth stands beside you on a stage one day and says, you know what? I'm going to throw my whole lot, my whole life in with you. I'm going to trust you with my existence. I'm going to honor you and support you and love you. I'm going to let you either bless my life or ruin my life. That person says all that and they're the one we're going to hurt? Like how crazy is it that God would have to give us this command? Don't hurt the one person on earth who loves you the most. Like it's nuts. It's nuts. But it's real. We are told about the deep impulses in our heart by the law. The law is a, it's a hard thing to read because it's like God shines a light on the darkness that exists in us. And we don't like it. We like to dodge the light and stay away from this discussion. And I know you're going to be a little bit uncomfortable because we're going to talk about things today, but let it happen. Let God shine a light on you because there is good news and good news is coming. How many times have you been watching the movies and you say, I hate the way the movies make a wrong relationship look good and that you want, you want the people to do the thing that you know goes against your morals, right? And then we all say, oh, Hollywood, it's you. It's not Hollywood's fault. They're just shining a little light and the law says these desires are in your broken heart. And when you want those things to happen, it's because, newsflash, you want those things to happen. All right? We're broken people. It's not fun to discover this. Uh, now, you might be sitting in this sermon, you might be already thinking, yeah, I'm all right. I haven't cheated on my wife. I'm a good person. I'm just going to look at my Facebook feed for the next 20 minutes until he shuts up. Um, bad news for you. Jesus, Matthew, Matthew chapter 5. You have heard it said, you shall not commit adultery, but I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. God designs us not to be good by following a few rules and ticking a box. All right? He wants to transform us at the heart level. And adultery and sexual sin comes from a deep place of discontentment. It's when we're willing to chase satisfaction anywhere and everywhere because we have a state of discontentment and dissatisfaction. We're willing to cross across boundaries that we know are good because we want to feel good. We want to feel good. And this deep sense is what God wants to fix. And when he gives us this law, it shines a light on a reality that is deep. So well done if you haven't cheated on your wife. Fantastic. 
But God wants to go deep with you. He wants to get to the core so that any dissatisfaction, any discontentment will not spring uh, and become sin in your life. I remember I was in Bible college and uh, the lecturer said, hey, how many of you guys are married? And a bunch of us put our hand up and said, yeah, we're, we're married. And he goes, how many of you, are, you just found this beautiful girl, you found the right one, she's your soulmate, you love her, and you would never even dream of, you know, of committing adultery or doing anything like that. Who's found their soulmate? And a bunch of guys put their hand up. He goes, right, you lot are most likely to have an affair in this room. And everyone, oh, wow, that didn't follow the right script. You know, we're supposed to be <laughs> patting ourselves on the back. And he's saying to us, he's saying, man, do you think, do you think that you are going to be able to obey God without his help? Do you think that by finding the right partner or by by doing well in marriage, that you're no longer susceptible to sexual sin? You fool. You fool. And this is what the Lord does for us. It's not fun, but it's so good. It shows me, Stephen, you are capable of sin, and you are capable of any sin. And it's not, no, it's not enjoyable to hear that, but this is what the Lord does for us. It shows us that we are in trouble on our own. We need God's Spirit in our life. We need His help and His guidance. I uh, lead on this camp. It's called Leadership USA. I did it when I was, sorry, it was in Australia, just called Leadership, but when we brought it here, we had to give it an American name because otherwise you might have thought it was from somewhere else. And then, um, anyway, I'll tease you a little bit, but I promise I'll stop. Uh, anyway, the, I did it when I was 15, 16, 17 as a boy, and then I became a leader. I've been doing it ever since. Uh, and one of the sad things for me is I lead the third stage, great young men. They, they've stuck in there for three years learning about servant leadership, wanting to become like Christ, wanting to give their life to God. And I get them, 25, 30 young men every year when they're about 17 or 18 years of age. And as of about 17 or 18 years ago, I'd have about 30 to 40% of those boys would be struggling with pornography. But for the last 10 or 12 years, it's 100%. 100%. It's got to be at least a decade since I have had a kid who I say, who here is not currently wrestling with this issue, say, not me, I'm cool. Like, no. This pervasive sexual society is catching us. It's catching people left, right, and center. It's terrible. Uh, it's not uh, just young people, all right? We did a uh, men's breakfast at my church, and uh, we plied the men with a lot of meat, and when they were in their uh, food coma, and I had them relaxed, and uh, I said, hey guys, uh, we want to do a real men's ministry here. We want to face facts. Uh, so I want you to do a survey. I don't want you to put your name on it. I don't want to know who you are. But the one thing I need is the truth. Just give me the truth. And then I know what we're dealing with. And uh, the first page was stuff like work-life balance, how many hours you're spending uh, away from your family, da-da-da-da. Uh, and they're all on their tables and they're filling out their things and they're so full of meat that they're all happy and they're chatting away. And then they turn the page over and then they start, and then I start watching them all. Oh, Lee. <laughs> start to... Yeah, I started asking them, hey, how many times have you looked at pornography? Is it in the last year? Is it in the last six months? Is it in the last month? Is it in the last week? Is it in the last day? How many times are you looking at pornography? How many times a day? How many times a week? How many times a month? How many times a year? I started asking all these questions. I asked them to answer this stuff. And to my not at all shock, but great sadness, you know, two-thirds of the men in our church 
or caught at some level in pornography. Two-thirds. And it's good men. Good men who want to pursue Christ, want to follow Jesus. But sexual sin, men, we live in this sex-crazed society that tells so many lies about sex as though sex equals life. And for everyone here who's had sex, we know it's great, but it ain't equal life, does it? It doesn't equal life. A staff member came up to me when I told him that I was preaching on this. He said, hey, I want to tell you my story. He said, the three generations of men above me have broken their families by cheating on their wives and leaving their their wives. And he said, my father sat me down only a few months back and said, the worst thing I ever did was cheat on your mom and leave your mom and break up our family. And I praised God because I said to this young guy, you are the first good man doing a good job in four generations and your children are so likely to do the same because of you. You've broken the code, right? And that's the exciting thing about looking at who we are. Yes, we're susceptible to this. Yes, we're going to get caught in it at some level, but we can take a new road, and God can redeem us, and God can do great things. So while it's not fun to open ourselves up to this conversation, it's exciting that God has good possibilities for us. Teenagers. Man, it is rough. I watched this preacher during the week and I was laughing my head off. He said, teenagers are like salmon. They just want to mate and die. That's the only two things in their head. And it's like, uh, they can't think of anything else. Um, and we get that. We get that. We've all been there. We've all been there. And uh, again, the great gifts of God, emotions, hormones, uh, touch, taste, smell, all these wonderful things that make life rich and enjoyable were given to us by God. They were given to us by God, all right? And we just want, I just want to say to you teenagers, God's way is great. And, and what the world does is it takes something of supreme value, something that is so valuable, and it denigrates it into a cheap, nasty activity that anyone can use and abuse. It takes something that's about a celebration of two people loving one another and sharing life together, and it turns it into people using one another and treating people like meat. It's the world is going to chew you up and spit you out if you take its model of sexuality. And so teenagers, I just want to say to you, look into the Bible for God's vision on life. It's so rich. It's so rich. So my wife gets a man who from a young age thought, I want to value my future wife so much that I won't muck around with other women, whoever she is in the future. I want her to get me, and I want her to know that I was all for her. And that, that's what the vision the Bible is going to give you, young teenagers, if you're willing to look into it. Uh, God is so good. Uh, don't ask, how far can I go? All right, The Bible is so helpful here. It's got one category for people who aren't married. You know what they're called? Brothers and sisters. Isn't that helpful? <laughs> I find that supremely helpful. <laughs> Just get that ringing around your ear. Hey, sis, do you want to go out on a date? <laughs> All right? It's good. It's helpful. It's helpful. They are your brothers and your sisters until they change category and become husband and wife. Husband and wife. And what a beautiful thing. In a church this size, you might get away with it. When I grew up in a smaller church... Man, we all dated each other around the youth group. Of course. 
because you, you get in to know the sort of people you like, uh, we do group dating, we do all that sort of stuff, but the ones who stayed pure, they could look each other in the eye when they got married to different people. And we all knew each other, and we were friends for years. The ones who couldn't, they had to split. They did. They just said, I can't quite handle it. I made a mistake with that person and that person. Now they're married to that person and that person. It's a mess. You do it God's way, and it just works, and it works so well. There's so much freedom and so much joy. Don't ask how far. What a crazy question. That is someone else's wife or someone else's husband until you are married. How far is a ridiculous question. Sexting. Our society is a mess, people. A mess. God values you so much. He says you are fearfully and wonderfully made. Uh, women and men. He says you're beautiful. Uh, he says that you are worthwhile. He says that he would go all the way to a cross and die just because he wants to have a relationship with you. And if someone says to you, hey, we've been dating for a week, send me a picture, say, no, no. And if someone sends you a picture, delete it. Don't participate in this world that is going to degrade people into pieces of flesh, right? Get on a higher plane where God calls you to treat people as of such infinite value that we would be willing to die for one another, serve one another, love one another, lift one another up, honor and respect one another. These are awesome words, aren't they? And these are the words the evil one wants to just throw in a bin and say, get what you can get. It's terrible. I read an article about a young man who had spent so much time dating virtually that he was scared to talk to girls now because he said, every time I answer a girl on text, I get to think about it for ages so that I say something really sharp and witty and get it just right. I think about it, I craft it. I, and I, so now I don't like meeting girls face to face. It freaks me out. Uh, he finally found a girl that he wanted to date and he wanted to marry. He, he, you know, this is a secular young man. It was a secular article. It was written as though just an interesting piece. And he said, when I found this girl and realized, man, this is the one I really want to get to know. I'm in my early 20s. I think this is the one. He said, I was really surprised to find I had to delete 697 nude pictures off my phone. And he, and he said, I didn't realize I had that much. And I felt bad about it. <laughs> you think? I mean, but this is where we will all go. This is where we'll all go if we don't graciously look into God's word and he doesn't remind us, doesn't remind us of his good way to freedom. The third thing we're going to see in this command is a way to freedom. Satan wants to work against this. He wants to lie about this and he wants to sneak it in the side door. I love this passage. If you don't read the Bible, man, you are missing out. It is the best. It is the greatest. Look at Proverbs 9. So much fun. To those who have no sense, he, she says, stolen water is sweet. Food eaten in secret is delicious. But little do they know that the dead are there, that her guests are deep in the realm of the dead. Every one of us has counseled someone who thought they would find life in sex. And it tears their heart. Or they give up on believing that things are really that pure or possible. 
and then they lower their expectations and they lower their standards. Satan tries to make it seem like it's going to be so good, so good. If you could just get that, it would be awesome. But it's where destruction happens. Young people, go to a cemetery, walk around every single epitaph. I promise you're not going to find one that says, oh, I finally had sex, so now I'm happy. Right? It won't be there. It won't be there. Uh, these lies, these lies about sexuality. Staying pure is worth it. Staying pure is worth it. Get a vision for your life that is bigger than I want to feel good. This is the most lame, boring vision for a life possible. I want to feel good. What can I do next? Food, Netflix, uh, sexual thing, anything. Like this is the simplistic Western mindset at the moment. As long as I don't hurt anyone, total myth, I can do whatever I want as long as I can get a good feeling. This is lame. Like we're in a world that desperately needs good people to step up, doesn't it? There's problems everywhere. God comes along and he says, I have made you with gifts, talents, abilities, and he wants to give you this high vision to love God and love people and bust into the world of darkness with light and redeem a section of it. It's exciting. His vision for your life is rich. Get a good vision for your life. Don't fall for this lie that just has you down here and takes you out of the game. Ah, oh, stolen stuff tastes sweet. It's really good. Just get some of that. It won't be. It won't be. I love this passage. Uh, it starts off with a bit of a water metaphor, which is good, but halfway through he gets bored and he just goes for gold. So check this one out. Proverbs 5.15. Drink water from your own cistern. Running water from your own well. Should your springs overflow in the streets, your streams of water in public squares, let them be yours alone, never to be shared with strangers. Then he gets excited about sex and he says, may your fountain be blessed. God's not a killjoy. And may you rejoice in the wife of your youth, a loving doe, a graceful deer. Water's gone now, we're straight into the A game. Uh, may her breast satisfy you always. May you ever be intoxicated with her love. Why my son be intoxicated with another man's wife? What a ridiculous concept, he says. Why embrace the bosom of a wayward woman? For your ways are in full view of the Lord, and he examines your path. The evil deeds of the wicked ensnare them. The cords of their sin hold them fast. Sex is God's, people. I hate it when the world talks about it as like it's, it's, they own it. It's God's idea. He loves it. He came up with it. He wants you to enjoy it. It's a good thing. We can talk about it, you know, in the church for a long time. And the shh, shh, rubbish. God has a great plan for it. Uh, but he wants you to be free and have freedom in this area of your life. And he has a good plan for it. My old senior pastor had a funny situation. He, uh, he came into the doctor one day and the doctor sat him down and he got out his bloods and he said, hey, bud. Uh, you've contracted this very serious STD and we need uh, to start you getting treatment right away. And uh, my mate Stan said, nah, mate, you've got the bloods wrong. You've made a mistake. And he goes, okay, that sounds nice, but you need to face reality. You've got this disease and we need to start treating it. He goes, no, my wife and I were virgins when we got married. We've been married for 30 plus years and we've stayed faithful. You've made a mistake. He goes, buddy, 
I'm sorry to be the bearer of bad news, uh, but you need to go and sort this out so that we can get started on treatment. He goes, no, you have made a mistake. And the guy says, all right, end of discussion. I'm a doctor. When you want to wake up to reality, come back and we will treat you. He says, fine. So he walks out, and sure enough, half an hour later on the drive home, oh, sir, we are so sorry. We had a mix-up with your bloods. We, were, we had the wrong, wrong readings. It's not you. <laughs> it's not you. This is, this is the freedom God desires for us. You know, this senior pastor, he just sat there saying, no, nah, you, got, you got it wrong, bud. Because I've served a faithful God, I've lived God's ways my whole life, and I know my wife has as well. And his confidence was, you know what, you are wrong. And he has total freedom in that. That's the sort of thing God wants for our sexual life. Not this trapdoor, not a fear, no anxiety, no mess. God wants us to have freedom. All right, we're coming up to the best bit. There's a promise embedded in God's commands. The rough thing about these commands is that when Jesus filled up the law with his truth, he showed us that none of us could ever match his standard. None of us could ever be holy on our own. None of us were ever going to be pure, given our own devices and our own flesh. It was not going to happen. But there was a promise embedded. And all through the scripture, God alludes in the Old Testament. He keeps on mentioning that he's going to save us. He's going to send a champion. He's going to send an anointed one. Somehow this anointed one is going to bring about uh, our salvation. It's exciting, and it's, it's in the undercurrent of the Old Testament all the way through. Even one of my favorite verses is uh, Jeremiah 31, where the prophet says, one day, you know these, these Ten Commandments we've got on stone? We hate them because none of us can pull it off. We hate them because despite our best efforts, we keep stumbling and tripping up and falling. He says, God has told me that one day he's going to put the law in our minds. He's going to embed it into our hearts. And he's going to be our God. And we're going to be his people. That's literally what the verse says. It says, one day in the future, somehow, somehow, God's going to take this moral code on stone that we keep tripping over and hating. And he's going to actually put it in us. And it's going to succeed. We're going to be able to be God's people. He's going to be with us. And we're going to have it coming out of us instead of us stumbling and bumbling and trying and failing. That's what Jesus comes to do. Jesus taught in a way different to anyone else. You see, all the, all the teachers, the scribes, the Pharisees at the time, they used to say, Moses said this, or the law says this, or the Torah says this, and they'd have these discussions. Jesus enters the frame. He does miracles. Everyone's blown away. Whoa, this is new. Uh, he preached with authority. And they're like, man, what is with this guy? And instead of saying, Moses said, the Torah says, this is what it says, he used to start his wisdom teaching how? He used to say, truly I say to you. And everyone used to be like, whoa, this dude is speaking with authority. He's telling us what he says. And some of them thought, he's bringing in a whole new teaching. He's going to scrap the Old Testament, scrap the old law, and he's going to bring in this new thing because he's saying it to us. And one day Jesus answers this question in Matthew chapter 5. He says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them. By the way, in the Bible, whenever it says law and prophets, you can, in your head you can hear Old Testament because the law and the prophets, 
are the collection of books that make up the Old Testament. Uh, Do not think I've come to abolish the law and the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter nor the least stroke of the pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of these least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven." Now, the people hearing this would have been like, what? The teachers of the law and the scribes are the best. We all suck compared to them. And Jesus comes along and then just says, you have to be way better than them. Way better. And he says, I'm not getting rid of the law. I'm filling it up. You're trying to follow it at a little rule level. I'm getting right down into where your heart is. And I'm showing you what the real pure, holy standards of God are, and you have to surpass that, and then you can enter the kingdom of heaven. And of course, everyone would have gone. Great. Right? But the exciting thing is that Jesus comes, he lives this perfect life on display in front of everyone. And then he offers us this amazing exchange. He says, you give me all your sin, and I will take the punishment of that And I will give you my righteousness. So many people make this mistake in Christianity. They think that that we can give God our sin and then he's going to send his Holy Spirit to help us get better. But this is not what he says, is it? He says, no, 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 I'm going to kill off that heart of flesh and I'm going to give you a new heart, my heart. This is the promise. This is the most beautiful news. In and of yourself, you cannot remain pure in this sexual saturated world. But if you learn to lean on the Holy Spirit and walk with him, Jesus himself is giving you his capacity, his righteousness. There's these awesome verses in the Bible that say you can participate in the divine nature. You can become like Jesus. He says this whole church group of people. He says, don't come here and pretend you're good. He says, come here and admit that you need me and I'm going to blend you together and make you like me and you'll become my church, you'll become a a holy temple, a building unto God, right? This is what he wants to do. John chapter 117, for the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And what is the grace that Jesus offers us today? Any sexual sin, whatever you have done, any sexual sin, he can forgive you. (sighs) Isn't that awesome? I used to say to people when they walk into my office as a pastor, uh, one of the roughest parts about being a pastor is hearing people's lives, right? And uh, to help them be comfortable, I'd say, hey, you can say anything in here. I've had every single sin apart from pedophilia uh, confessed on that couch. So I won't be shocked you can speak to me. And then about five or six years ago, I had to stop saying that. Uh, Every single sin had been confessed on that couch. And Jesus forgives us. Beautiful passage. Go and read it for your homework. Hebrews chapter 4. We all know verse 12. For the word of God is living and active, sharp, and then a double-edged sword. It penetrates the dividing soul and matter, mind, and all that, right? You know that one? And as we're reading it, we're going, oh, keep reading. 
Keep reading. It then says Jesus knows our weaknesses. It says Jesus will offer us to come to a throne of grace because he sympathizes with us, because he became like us. He became like us, yet he did not sin, but he gets it. Go and read that passage. Jesus can forgive you any sexual sin. Now, the church has sucked at this in the past. We've said things like, Jesus will forgive you for anything. You got divorced? (laughs) Did you invite them home for lunch? Let's not be like that church. Let's be a true church, CCV. Let's not fake it. Let's be real. Amen? (laughs) Sexual sin causes devastation, but God offers new life, and he offers it constantly. No matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, no matter what mistake you have made, Jesus loves you. He can forgive you, and he can put you on a new path today. He can't do it if you hide. He can't do it if you hide. And church, if we look down on anyone for sexual sin, then God is going to remove his mantle from us and we, he will just let us die on the vine because he wants real churches that display his real love. So we've got to be passionate and not judgmental. One of the, my favorite things about Pastor Jeff is that at least every second sermon, he talks about his own brokenness and shows that he is sinful. One of my favorite popes, someone came to him back in the day and they said, How did you become so wise and so wonderful? How did you become so amazing? And he said, hey, bud, I am one beggar showing another beggar where to get food. That's us. That needs to be our heart as a church. Jesus can forgive you. His grace forgives anything. Unjustified uh, divorce, any sexual sin, affairs, anything. He can forgive you. Porn. I've seen this porn devastate people's lives. Two young men, one of my favorite young men at church, brilliant young fella, played in the band, uh, started his own tech company all by himself, uh, made wads of cash, married the most beautiful girl in our youth group, just a beautiful spirit, served, loved, just dream couple in the church, porn addict. Of course, he's a tech guy. No one was ever going to find out, right? He knew how to hide everything, and he was very talented, so this was not an issue. One day, a good friend of his in the car at night at church says to him, bud, I'm a porn addict, and he admits it. Me too. It was a Monday night. They were both married for a couple of years at this point. Oh, by the way, if you think that getting married is going to solve your sexual sin, (laughs) oh my goodness. Remember, Jesus wants to work at the heart level. You think tick and flick and sorting a few things out will fix it? No, he wants to get deep with you. And when this young guy, he, they made a pact in the car that night. They said, on Wednesday morning, I'm ringing your wife and I'm telling her you're a porn addict. They made a pact. They both went and told their wives, rough, it was rough. Their wives had a picture of their perfectly angelic husbands. Their wives had forgotten that this command exists because all of us fall short of the glory of God. But thankfully, they went on a journey. They went on a journey. They faced it. They got freedom from that sin. And they've gone on to tell other people. I'm so proud of this guy. He said to me, came up to me after he'd been dealing with this for a few months. He said, dude, I want to share my story with the young men at church. I said, dude, respect. Good on you. Don't lie after the sin as well and pretend you've always had it all together. Let's be open and honest. Let's, Let's help each other on this journey. 
Let's get there together. God's grace can offer you forgiveness. We've got counselors in this church. We've got prayer counselors. If you confess your sin, he's faithful and just. He will forgive you from all sin. And I love this part of 1 John 1, 9. And he will cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Isn't that awesome? You come and confess that one thing you're dealing with, and God just washes you completely. He can do that for you. But grace doesn't stop there. Grace is not just for forgiveness. Grace is for a new heart and a new righteousness. And Jesus wants you to turn into, instead of an adulterous person, he wants you to become a faithful, creative lover. This is where following Jesus brings life alive. Alive. People, I didn't want to become a Christian when I was a teenager because I had this idea that being a Christian was boring. Rubbish. Our life, when we understand God's plan, is rich. Jesus said, you have heard it said, do not do unto others, you would not have them do to you, which is a basic translation is, don't punch me in the head, and I won't punch you in the head, right? Now, that would fix a lot of society, but it wouldn't make, us, wouldn't make it great. So Jesus comes around, he says, well, you've heard that said, let me say to you, do unto others, as you would have them do to you. So Jesus says, don't just stop hurting each other, start loving each other the way I designed you to love. And when we passionately pursue Jesus, when he gives us this new heart, he invites us into the story the way it was meant to be, where every single day I pursue my wife. We do this thing called a daily dialogue. We've done it for about 12 years. Every night we ask each other the same three questions. What was most satisfying about our relationship today? What was least satisfying? And how can I help? Every night I hear a new thing. I've tried X, Y, and Z. Which one hit my wife's heart? Which one connected with her? It's fun to become a faithful, passionate lover the way God designed us to be. It's a rough conversation because you also hear, what did I do that hurt my wife? Well, I want to stop that, don't I? But this lifts us up into a new way of life. Single people, discover what real passion and purpose looks like. It's not getting your rocks off. That's not life, all right? Okay? Jesus His will for you is so rich, if you are single, you may or may not ever have sex in God's will. But I promise you, if you're in God's will and you're pursuing his vision for your life, you will be satisfied, wholly satisfied. Okay? If you think you've given up by following Jesus, heck no. There's this young girl in my old church, she's a beautiful young woman, uh, honours student in law, she could have had the world, you know, got a graduate position where she would have started life at 85 or 90 grand a year and all the rest of it, Uh, but she answered the call, she said, you know what, I really want to go to Cambodia and I want to work with these young girls caught in sex slavery, a horrendous, horrendous task. And I said to her, good on you, how long are you going for? Most people go for a week, she said, I'm going to go for a year, I said, great. She went for the year, she came back. I said, Anna, how's it going? And she said, oh my goodness, this is what God made me for. These girls' lives are so broken, but after a year and a half of us counseling them and loving them and training them with hospitality skills and everything, it's like chalk and cheese. They come out with a skill, with a future, with a vision for their life. It's the best. She said, I'm going back. And I said, hey, Anna, you know that if you go now, you're going to go for 10 years and you might be giving up on a husband. She said, doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. This is what God made me for. I just want to encourage you, lift up your vision. Don't get fooled by the devil's lies. If you're a single today, and you are in the will of God, 
you can have complete satisfaction and joy and the richest life he has called you to have. You need a vision for that and purity is part of it. And you're not missing out. You have a different path. A different path. So don't feel uh, that you're missing out. If you're in the will, it's the best place. I want to bring this into land. I want to have a response time. Uh, I'd love you to all stand. Let's do it together. Normally I only have one or two responses from a sermon, but I want to have four. And the reason I want to have four is I want to help you take your first step. And I don't want our church to be judgmental of people who come forward. Because if God's working on your heart right now, obey him. He is a good God. And I'm going to say about four or five different things, so none of you are going to know what anyone's coming up for. That's between them, God, and the person they're going to confess it to to get them on that good track. Amen? And are we happy in a church where people come and do business with God? Yes. Do we want a church where we think we've got to get our lives up to some sort of standard, then we can come to church and fake it like we're slightly better than we really are? No! That's rubbish. We don't want to band-aid our life. We want a new heart. We want Jesus to transform us. So let's do business with God. Here's the four things I want. Come for forgiveness. If God's convicted you right now, if you're caught in a sexual sin right now, come and receive forgiveness. Jesus loves you. He just wants to take that burden off you today. So if you need forgiveness, come. Don't just stand in your row and do it. If he's pressing on your heart, come and confess it. James says when we confess with our mouth out to another believer, God does something really special. The people who keep sin hidden, people who keep sin hidden, they usually keep sinning. The people who bring it out into the open, Satan hates that. And God loves it because he says, ah, now we can work together. So come and receive forgiveness. If you're single, commit to purity and pursue faithfulness uh, stop thinking you're missing out on life, all right? You can be in the will of God right now. If you think, oh man, my life's all going to be awesome, and it's all going to come together once I get married, or once I can do this, or once I can do that, you have not been listening. God has a good plan for you today. He wants you to use your talents, your abilities, your passions to bring light into a dark world, and he has got a vision for you. And if you've been so distracted by this, this sexual issue and sexual sin, you've missed out on that great calling on your life, come and ask for prayer, that you can wash away that, that, that noise and find out God's goodwill for you today. Come, receive some prayer. If you're married and you've retreated in the corners and the only time you ever come and hang out with each other is for a couple of these, uh, and you're setting up your own corner, and you've given in, and your marriage has become a truce, are you staying together because that's the right thing to do? God said that marriage is a picture of his love for his church. And if you've stopped going for that goal, come out and receive some prayer. If you're just trying to make it through, Come and receive some prayer. Jesus wants your marriage to be a picture of how God loved the church. It is, it is so life-giving. Even as I talk about this, I want to go and give my wife a hug right now. Like our marriage is supposed to be the most life-giving and wonderful thing. Come and receive prayer if your marriage needs work. And church, last one. This is a bit tricky for us blokes, but Jesus calls us his bride. It's a bit awkward. Um, but, but... If you think through the imagery, isn't it awesome? Jesus loves us. He wants us to be his first love. 
And if you, as a, we as a whole church, have forgotten to be faithful to our husband, our first love, then we need to come back to him. And I want us to do that. If you're number four, I want you to do that through worship, through worship. I'm going to pray. Let's do business with God. Lord Jesus, we love you so much. We thank you that you are pure and holy. We thank you for the gift of sex uh, and intimacy and passion. These are such wonderful things, Lord. But Lord, we see carnage everywhere because of the way we have handled that. So I pray, Lord Jesus, that we wouldn't settle for following rules this morning, but rather we would come to you and that we would ask you to give us your Holy Spirit, to give us a new heart, a new life, so that our natural reaction would be like you, our husband, who is faithful and devoted and creative and loving, Lord Jesus. Give us that vision, we pray. Do business in our hearts, we ask. Amen.